uh, chapter 3 kind of introduces this guy in the scripture called John the Baptist. A lot of you guys know who John the Baptist was. He was a guy by birth, his mom named John. And what he did was he went around baptizing people. Uh, but he was, he was kind of one of those radical guys who, if you were to envision him today, you would probably think he was crazy. Um, he lived a very isolated life to his, in his own mind. I think we can glean from scripture that he was trying to live the life with as much integrity, adding as much integrity to the message that he taught as he could. So he was pretty separated from the, from the existing religious life that was out there. Um, and, uh, you know, the scripture talks about him just being a mess, his hair messed up and crazy clothes and eating crickets for dinner and all this stuff. And, but one of the things he did was he baptized people specifically for, to symbolize the repentance and the cleansing of sin, the cleansing, the washing away of sin. But he proclaimed this message that there was someone else coming, the Messiah, who would um, baptize for another reason and for another way. And uh, so in verse 11, he, um, he says this prophetic word. He says, there is one coming after me who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And um, verse 13 then picks up, and this one he's speaking of shows up. They're down in the water. He's baptizing. People are lined up. He's already addressed the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, he's baptizing, saying, this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus. And he instantly knows that this is Jesus. He instantly knows that this is the one he was waiting on, the one he was speaking of, the one that God was revealing to him was coming And it says that Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, speaking of the river, coming to John. It says, why? To be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Could you imagine being John the Baptist at that moment? You know, representing something holy and good and all this, going through all this religious procedure and everything. And then... Um, and then all of a sudden there's God essentially. And he's like, no, keep going. Let me, let me see what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Um, but Jesus looks at him and he says, I, I need to be baptized by you. Oh man, I would have fought that. I would have been like, no way, somebody else. I, I would have felt so humble and, and, and not worthy. And it's just really funny. I, I think anytime... I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Anytime you really go through a season where you're digging deep into Scripture and you're really trying to draw, you know, you have this image of holiness that you're trying to pursue and you're trying to put in your life, but the, the more you get into that, the dirtier you feel. Have you ever done that? You're like, why is it? I'm supposed to feel better about myself, right? But the truth is, the closer we get to, the, the, to Jesus, the more in contrast our life really is. And we see the great need for, for Him and we see this great need. Well, here he is, and he says, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus went on in verse 15, and he basically said, hey, listen, I'm up to something here. I need, to let you, I need you to forget about what you think is important and the way you want to do it, because I've got a bigger plan, and it's not just about you, it includes you, but there's something bigger I'm trying to do here, so you need to just let it go and just do what I tell you to do. 
That was my paraphrase. Here's what he really said. But Jesus answered him and said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There's a lot going on in that scripture. First, the word permit it, that phrase permit it literally means to suffer it. So Jesus look at him and he goes, I know, he, he, he's trying to let him know, listen, I understand and I know that you want something different here. And, and, and if you were in charge, which you're not, but you have a preference. And he's saying, I know you have a preference, but I'm asking you to let go of that and offer that to me. Suffer it because something else I'm doing. He says, and, and, he, and he said this phrase, permit it for in this way. So he's talking about there's something bigger than just the baptism that's about to happen. There's a way, there's a thing I'm communicating here. And it is fitting for us. It's, it, he's inviting him into this fulfillment of righteousness. So it, it's, a, it's, it's a beginning almost, can Jesus prophesy? I don't, it's this like prophetic perspective of, of Jesus inviting us into his mission, into something. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove in the form of a dove. Verse 17. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We already know today's Father's Day. It's interesting to me as I think about Father's Day. And I see the scripture that this is the first moment that, that publicly God is announcing to the world, this is my son and I am his father and I am well pleased. So much going on in this moment. And I can't help but think this week, I think about this a lot, that the moment in my life where my perspective of God completely changed was the moment I became a dad and I began to look at my child. And I would watch them make dumb decisions and love them anyways. I, I would look at them, stare me in the face and say one thing knowing it was the other. I, I, I would see all these experiences and love them and want the best for them and hurt for them. And want to encourage them and want to discipline them the right way so they know that they're loved. And all of this stuff. And I began to grow in my understanding of how God feels about me by thinking, how do I feel about my kids? Because God chose this word picture to describe his relationship with us, his children. In the same way that he chose marriage to describe the relationship with, with the bride, the church. It's beautiful and it's very intentional. It changes everything, this perspective and this relationship. It's also interesting to me today, in the timing of this, um, that the thing he did, that Jesus did, in which began this transition in his life into what we call his public ministry. At this time, he was undercover. He was Jesus undercover. He started his public ministry with baptism. That at this moment, everything changed. That at this moment... It was like this ownership was proclaimed as a father and, and everything changed. I say it's kind of ironic and, and, and interesting that we come to the scripture on this day and it being Father's Day. Um, because next week we are having uh, our baptism service. And uh, it's one of my favorite times ever to just see, to watch someone be baptized and to see, 
You'd almost read their mind by looking in their eyes, you know. See this beautiful word picture of what Jesus did and what we are, are called to do. And we always want to take a moment before we step into that and do that to just take some time to teach on what Scripture talks about, about baptism, why it's so important. And so that's what we want to do today. That's what I want to talk about being so practical. I really want this to be a practical moment, a practical time where we can be reminded of what the significance of baptism really is. Now, here's the deal. Um, everyone in this room has a perspective on baptism. And we all come from different places. And each of us then have different fears, wonders, concerns, whatever. For some reason, we start talking about baptism in the church, people start getting uncomfortable. And, and the truth is, there are some of you here who are, came to faith when you were really young in vacation Bible school somewhere and you got baptized the next week and you're here and to talk about baptism to you is just great. There's no tension. There's, oh, I've done this. I feel, I'm glad I did it when I was six. I don't have to do it now when I'm 36 or whatever. And, and, and this is a good time to be able to just be reminded what that represents because we're able to just really worship and think about, God, this is what I did. And this is, we can almost relive that as we look through scripture. There are others who maybe came to faith and for one reason or another, uh, you never took that step of baptism uh, to be baptized. And, and you look at that with, there's some, there may be tension in your life about that. And maybe you felt pressure before. And, and, and you need to be reminded or you would like to learn more about it or maybe you just like to ignore it, pretend it's not there. But the truth is, is that baptism was one of two things Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. One ordinance is communion. We do it every week. The other one is baptism because it's so important to him. And my heart today is to remind us why we do it and, and, and a little perspective on it too. Because I think sometimes we can, in the church today, we can jack anything up. So what I'd like to do is take an honest look at some of these. Um, there are some of you here today who became a believers a long time ago and you're living your faith like crazy and everyone assumes you're baptized and you're not. And so you just, you, you maybe feel this tension every time we do baptism or whatever, but you're, but you're afraid if then you're baptized, people will go, I thought he was already baptized and feel like there's some weird thing going on there. And there's this inner struggle. And then there are some of you who were baptized as infants, maybe as a part of another faith uh, or church experience. And, and, and you look at baptized now and you say, you want me to get baptized now? And, and, and we're threatened by it. We say, well, are you saying that didn't count? Are you telling me that when don't, de, don't devalue what I've already done? And I, I want to talk about that in, that, in, in those tensions. But would you agree with me that there's some tension around this t- subject? Yeah? What I want to do is I just want to say, God, let us, let us know how you feel about this. And God, may we just be a church that when you tell us do this, that we're willing to do it, whatever it looks like. That not just out of, out of blind obedience, but that we would look at your word and that, God, you would convince us in our hearts of what you call us to do for the reasons you call us to do them. And so I hope today is a informational time as much as I pray that each one of us would stop for just a moment and say, where am I? Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer or you never stepped that line of faith. And, you know, I think this is good information to know that 
Jesus calls us to be baptized, and here's why. So let's, let's take note. That's why I'd love you to have a pen and follow along and uh, look at a couple things in, regarding, in, re- in regards to baptism. Is that okay? It's like, what are you going to do? Say no. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. Let's look through. Thanks, Juan. Count on you to say no. So let's look at four things. I want to look at four things about baptism that I think is very significant, very important for us to realize and know. The first one is, is that baptism was God's idea, not man's. It was God's idea. Now, there's a lot of things we do in church that's man's idea. And in fact, the things we typically fight about in church are usually man's ideas. They're the things that are cultural. They were like, I've always done church this way, so I want to keep doing church this way. That's fine. But there are so many things that are a-biblical. They're not unbiblical, but they're just not in Scripture. And, and we're challenged throughout Scripture to be able to take this message of the gospel, to glorify God and make disciples and all these things. And, it, and the way church has looked over the years has changed with culture, and that's okay. Church today does not look like church did 20, 30, 40. If this church existed in the 50s, we would be run out of town. I might be burned at the stake. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying is that there is a preference. There is a way. And it's not wrong. And it doesn't make the other style wrong or whatever, as long as the message is not compromised. But there are things that are preference. There are things that we prefer. And those are the things, it's funny, those are the things we end up fighting about sometimes. But what we have to distinguish is, in order to, is to say, okay, this was man's idea. And that's okay because it's within the parameters of what God is trying to do. But this was God's idea. And so we're not supposed to jack with this. All right? And so I think it's really important for us to remember that baptism was God's idea. It's something that Jesus called us in the Great Commission. Then his last instructions to us, Matthew 28 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty general statement. What is it to make disciples? Essentially, it's to go and make those who are following, who will be Christ followers, who will follow the way and the life of Jesus. Many different things this means. A disciple... Um, in, in this time, uh, there were many disciples, and there were disciples of many, many different uh, rabbis, okay? But specifically, he was talking about the way of Jesus' life, what he had taught. So it's just this way of life. It's pretty general. Then he says very specifically, then to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So this is just a reminder that this This was something Jesus was very clear about, which is there's this thing about baptism that surrounds it. that I I think there's so much confusion and so much tension and so much whatever. I think just, just whenever something like that happens, we need to take note that maybe this is really important. Because the Bible warns us that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition. And so this is why this is such a, attention point for many people. This is why those of you who are believers who want to move forward with, with professing your faith or doing this act, even if you don't, you just know you're supposed to do it, but you can't quite get yourself in your, this is why this is so hard. And there's always an excuse or another reason or another day. Okay. Cause this is so important. There's a real war going on. All right. God's idea. Second one is, is real simple. Jesus was our example. The thing with Matthew three is that Jesus himself got baptized. Why? Why did Jesus need to get baptized? I, 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 if, you, if you think about that, it really doesn't make any sense. 
Because John was baptizing for the forgiveness of sin, which Jesus had none. But the truth is, Jesus said, I must do this. Jesus had to do that for the same reason that Jesus became put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood and lived among us. Because Jesus did something over 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, where he got into the water, even though he didn't have to, and he identified himself with our humanity and our sin. So symbolic. You know, Matthew, when he is, uh, Matthew Hansen, when he leads communion, he always says, he always says, outside of uh, signified by lamps, he always says um, that Jesus lived the life we could never live, and he died the death we deserved. This is Jesus doing something that he didn't have to do for a reason. He's identifying himself in his perfection. He's identifying himself with us, with our humanity. A couple things here, three things. One, Jesus was teaching the posture of humility. I think if anything we could do, I, I talk to pastors all the time, all, all over, and, and the church is losing momentum in America like crazy. I mean, we're on the massive decline. There's, there's big churches everywhere, but the overall number of people in church is just declining. The United States of America is now what we consider a post-Christian society. I've said this before. When I say that, I want to slap myself and say, you're not American if you can say that. But it's true. The numbers say that less than one-third of America go to church. Okay? So here's just, here is just our reality. And I think about what it is that people... Because I know that the gospel is good news. And I know if people could see a pure image of who Jesus really was, they would be drawn to it. We see that all the time. So I think, how are we getting in the way? And I just think the biggest thing as a church, as, as Christ followers, if we would just could change our posture from arrogance and judgment and all this stuff, even if that's not who we are, that's what people see. If it could just, we could lead with humility, I think it would change almost everything. I just do. I just think people want to be around other people who are humble about who they are. And they want to be around that person because that person is going to be more forgiving. And they're not going to be judgmental. And they're going to be gracious to them. And they're probably going to be more authentic, more raw, more honest. Probably going to be a person you feel comfortable saying, you know what, I struggle with this. And I don't understand this. Instead of a world that just assumes you know everything. Okay? So Jesus was teaching a posture of humility and this idea of submitting to one another, even. That's a whole other sermon. The next one is Jesus was being revealed as the Son of God. So he was being revealed. In this moment, Jesus came out of the water. The clouds opened up. The Spirit ascended on him in the form of a dove. And God said, this is my Son. And it began his public ministry. There is something so empowering about baptism. I have met people all the time who are believers or who are new believers and they're trying to live their faith and they keep struggling and it's always a struggle, but there's this thing. It's just like, I just don't sense this presence. I don't sense this power. I don't, there's, there's something lacking. And only thing I could tell you is I've seen person after person make that decision to be baptized and something spiritual happens. Something empowering happens. There's something to that moment that is supernatural. And I also think that there's something supernatural about any moment that we just deny ourselves, we suffer it, and choose the way of Jesus, whatever it may be. Something very empowering about that. But there's something special about this moment that we are revealed as sons of God, publicly, okay? The last thing, see, I already lit this out of the hat, was Jesus was identifying with our humanity and sin. But I only gave you half of that. 
Here's what blows me away about the symbolism of baptism. That Jesus, 2,000 years ago, did something he didn't have to do to identify with you and me. That now, 2,000 years later, we can do. And we identify ourselves with him. The very same act. I mean, think about that for a moment. That, that we get in this water and, and it symbolizes our dying to ourselves. And it symbolizes us being buried in the ground with Jesus. And it symbolizes us coming out of the water, resurrected into a new life that we can't live without his power. A life of mercy and grace and freedom and of where the joy of the Lord is our strength, where our hope will not disappoint us. All these things we crave and we hope for in life. That's the sim- symbolism. Jesus was identifying with our humanity. Number three, baptism communicates trust and value. Trust and value. <clears throat> I used to say baptism communicates obedience. And it does. Well, John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's what he says. Period. He also says, a new command I give to you, that you would love one another. But he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. But we don't like the word obey. And we don't like obedience. I mean, I don't like it. It's a hard word. It requires me to give stuff up. Right? And, and it makes me confused and I, and I lose control. I'm not in power. You know? And, 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 it, and it makes me feel weak at times. And... All this stuff, but I want you to think of it in a different way. This word obey in the scripture means to guard over, to keep intact. So really what's, what Jesus is saying here, he says, if you'll love me, you will guard over what I'm teaching you. You will take the things that I've said, this is so important, and you will keep these things intact. You will take these things and you will keep them. You will guard over them. You will value them. You will trust in them. And you will, you will make this important to you because this is important to me. This is what he's saying. That we trust and that we value. He says, if you love me, you will obey. You will guard over what I command. And that word command is really talking about the, uh, the objective of the command. If you were to really break it down, it's not just the rule for the sake of the rule. It's the heart of the rule. So he's saying, what I want you to guard is the heart of what I'm telling you to do. I don't want you to just get baptized because you're going through the motions and you can check that box and everybody thinks now you're a committed believer and, and, and you could say I've been baptized. But instead, to look at it as a believer and say, I am guarding what is precious uh, about my relationship with Christ and what I value and what he told us to do. And the reason is because I need to be humble and I need to submit to him because I really believe there's a new life and there's a better way. And I really believe that he is the one that will release me from anxiety and release me into freedom and um, that's what God desires for his children is for freedom's sake that you have been set free why do we live in so much bondage I think if we're to back it up into what we hold on and if we would just suffer it I think you'd see I do I think we'd see I know in my life when I let go of things whatever it is every little thing that I'm able to let go of they're just, the fruit is amazing. It just seems like that is our journey. 
uh, three things under the trust and value. Identification. This is what it offers. It offers identification specifically with Jesus. But I also want you to know the identification with the body of Christ. The body of Christ is his church, his bride. This is why it's traditional for evangelical Christianity, in order to join a church, most ask that you are baptized as a believer. It's not because they're trying to be exclusive. It's not because they don't trust infant baptism or don't think you're a good enough Christian. Honestly, it's because we're trying the best of our ability as pastors to guard what Jesus told us to guard and to value. Okay? So it's this identification. The second one, B there, is it's a profession. There's a scripture that Jesus says, if you confess, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father. If you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father. And that always scared the tar out of me as a kid growing up and everything. And so I used to, you know, try and figure out ways to confess Jesus. And I'm like, does that count? Is that good enough? You know, and I've come to understanding that I think really we, we confess Jesus through our life more than anything. But this is the public way that we can stand before a body and say, no, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. And so it's that profession. And then thirdly, this pattern throughout is a submission. A submission not just to the rules and checking the boxes, but it's a submission of the heart to the way of Jesus. That he did it, didn't need to, because he wanted to identify with you and me. That now we can be baptized and identify ourselves with him, this will, this way, this life. The last thing, number four, baptism is a significant part of following Christ. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Scripture goes on, but I think that makes the point. I think there are, there are uh, two big questions whenever we come to the idea of baptism that seem to sideline us, seem to distract us. So I want to talk about real briefly. The first question is how? Should we be baptized? And the next one is when should we be baptized? You, you agree with that? How? How should we be baptized? Um, should, do we, should, we be, should we be sprinkled? Should we be poured? Should we be dunked? Should it uh, happen as an infant? Should it happen as an adult? Can, you have to be 32. Can you be, can you be eight in, uh, as a believer? Be, what does that look like? And here's what I believe about this. Let's get as practical as we can. If you were to look at the scripture, the original text, um, um, the word baptism uh, literally uh, is the word that means immersed. Okay? Now, I believe that Jesus' baptism was by immersion, which means to put under the water. Okay? I believe that's what scripture says. If you were to look into it, I, I prom- that's, that's what it claims, how Jesus was baptized. Now, Here's what I believe. Um, the baptism of Jesus was very specific that we, it's a believer's baptism because it's professing a decision that you and I made to be a Christ follower. I believe you cannot make that decision as an infant. I think that your parents can make the decision to raise you in the church. Your parents can make the decision to raise you in a godly home. It's the same thing we do in our parent-child dedication. We commit our children to the Lord. We beg God to help us not screw everything up. And we, we hope everybody else, we could sucker you into helping us, right? 
And that is beautiful. Whether it's a baptism, a commitment service, whatever it may be, that is beautiful, but that is a parent's commitment. I believe with all my heart that a believer's baptism, everyone in Scripture, except one person, when they were saved, they were baptized after being saved. That one person was a thief on the cross. You can't tell me if that thief couldn't have gotten down and got baptized, he wouldn't have. You just can't tell me. All right? And so I do believe baptism is to be, once you become a believer and you understand what that represents and you do that, um, I, I do believe that Jesus' baptism was by immersion. So as a church, when we choose how we're going to do it, I'm just going to do what I think Jesus wants us to do. And so we do that by immersion. But here's the truth. I don't think God really cares whether you're sprinkled, dunk, sprayed with a hose, pushed off a cliff into Lake Travis or, or whatever. If, if it represents the heart, remember, Jesus is not about the law. It's about the fulfillment of the law. Protect to guard the heart of baptism. Listen, if you grew up in a church where you became a believer and, and you were sprinkled or poured at the age of 13 or 14 and you want to join our church, um, we're not going to make you get immersed. If, if I was you, I would hope that, on, I'll just be honest with you, I would hope that you would want to be just if we learn because it's not about rule or you've got to do this or you don't count or you're not worthy or whatever. But I just, anytime I learn something new about Jesus that I feel like I'm supposed to do, I'm just going to do. And if I'm wrong, I'm just going to go, God, forgive me. I'm just trying to follow you, whatever it may be. But I just want you to know, because I don't want you to feel judgment today on this. I don't think God cares how. I think he cares about your heart. I think he cares about why. Why you would do it. And what it represents to you. Hopefully that it represents you identifying yourself with Jesus. Hopefully it, it, it represents you submitting and, and trying to guard, to suffer it. Hopefully it represents you professing your faith and identifying with him and his body, the church. But the win is when we believe and understand. I think I covered that um, pretty well. Um, my favorite scripture on, on baptism is found in Romans 8. We spent a year in the book of Romans. Romans 8 is a story, I'll give you the abbreviated version, where the, the, the leaders of the church were being scattered. And, and Philip was, uh, was, um, was scattered as well. And he, he, he came across, Scripture says, he, he ran into a chariot where there was a man, an Ethiopian, who was reading from the book of Isaiah. And uh, Philip saw him and he asked, he said, you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited him to sit with Philip, and Philip led him to Christ. And so this Ethiopian uh, came to Jesus on that moment. And the scripture picks up, and it says, uh, verse 36, that as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And, and I always envision this water just being a little muddy puddle. It might have been a lake or a pond or whatever. Um, but it says that they came up onto some water and instantly the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot and then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and Philip baptized them. Verse 39, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. It changed him. The thing I love about this story is just the posture of this Ethiopian and the lesson that we have. Because the church that I feel like we 
experience culturally, we, we tend to say, okay, God, I'll do this if I have to. And I think many times as we grow and as we want to do church or whatever, we're constantly taking this posture of, okay, um, um, tell me why should I do that? Why should I, why should I do that? Why should I go to church? Why should I get in a community group? Why, why do I have to worship? Why do I have to do, why, why do I have to do this? And what the Ethiopian teaches us here is to stop saying, tell me why I have to do this. And he said, instead, with a posture of humility, with a desire to seek God, he said, look, there's water. What would keep me from doing this? What would keep me from doing this? And if we were to fill in the blank, I think some of the answers would be inconvenience, pride, selfishness, a lack of trust, lack of humility. I can't think of a reason that's good enough. That we would stand in front of God and him not just go, come on, bro. <laughs> I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And would you just for a moment, as best you can, Just think about where you are, who you are. I don't think you could hear this time and, and not think about where you are in relationship to following Jesus' command um, to be baptized. Um, but will you ask the question, why wouldn't I?